0: All right, I am very excited to be here today and, and preach. I'm very thankful for Pastor Pete. For those who don't recognize me, I uh, am normally with the kids on Sunday mornings. So I sent them all to Wendy's to get some Frosties, so they should be back soon. No, I'm just, the uh, the Lewises are there and they're doing taking good care of them. Um, but I'm used to teaching the kids. So if I if I say sit up straight and tall and everybody look up this way or if I say I have a question and ask you to raise your hand, I'm I'm just used to teaching the kids. Um, but this is a, a very exciting thing for me, and I'm excited to preach about uh, what the Lord has uh, laid on my heart. If you see the title, Spiritual Adoption, now when, when we say the word adoption, it probably brings a lot of different emotions to you. You probably automatically know someone or... Or maybe you were adopted, or you know someone who was adopted. Now, in America, uh, we have our own process of adoption, and may not be the perfect system, but we do have that that process. Um, it's a very expensive process if you know anything about it, it's takes a lot of time, it takes a lot of patience. Um, when you think about adoption, many times it's a it's a frustrating thing. Adoption is a a frustrating process it can even be a heartbreaking process. But at the end of the day, adoption, it's a very beautiful thing to watch. To see a child who was either orphaned or had lost his family or the family was unable to care for the child, it, it's a beautiful ending to, to that process. Well, the the Bible speaks of us as believers as being adopted by God. The Bible says if you have put your faith in Christ Jesus, then you are adopted into the family of God. Now, there's a lot of things that happen at salvation. You, you're forgiven. You're justified. The Bible says that you are redeemed. But at the top of that list, and it has to be up there with those doctrines, is the fact that God brings us into his family. It's an exciting thing. So today, the goal I want us to see is to understand the significance of adoption, spiritual adoption, and how it has specific application to all those here today. Anyone who is here today at Parkway, this message applies to you. So let's uh, start off with a word of prayer, and then we're going to be in Galatians chapter 4. Lord, thank you that you have put us into your family. For those of us who have believed and trusted in you as our Savior, then we are part of the family of God. So I pray that as we look at this me- this uh, passage of Scripture, we would um, be encouraged and um, just t- uh, take some application with us today. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, we are in Galatians chapter 4. Now, as you look at in the chapter four, we are right in the middle. So there's six chapters in the book of Galatians. Paul, who wrote the book of Galatians, he wrote it to address a problem. So they, they were asking a question. A lot of the people were struggling in the church. They were saying, how can a sinful man or woman get to a holy God? How does that happen? How does a sinful man make it To a holy God. And so Paul, he writes it, and in the first three chapters, he addresses that problem. He says there's only one way, and that's through justification, where God forgives you of your sin and declares you to be righteous. He said it's only through justification. It's not by your works, it's only through faith in Jesus Christ. And so he lays out two systems, and there's the law of works on this side. And then the law of faith or belief in Jesus. Now, over here you have work. So you try to earn your own salvation. It's through your own merit, your own work. And then on this side, you have faith in Jesus Christ. There was his answer. In Galatians chapter 3, at the end of verse 11, he says, The just shall live by faith. The only way that a sinful man gets to a holy God is through faith. That was the, the verse that Martin Luther, the, the great theologian, he read that, and it totally transformed his life. It led to nailing the 95 Theses on the wall. So you have works, and then you have faith. Now, if you were to take any religion, if you were to name any religion in the world, and you were to boil it down, then ultimately you have two types of religions you have works. And you have faith. No matter what the religion system is, no matter how complicated it is, whatever it is, at some point it comes to works to earn favor with God. If, uh, if you've ever read this book by Carrie Schmidt, we, uh, we often give it out, and we have several copies down here, but it talks about the two types of religions. There's the do religion, you earn your salvation through works. There's the done by Jesus Christ. It's a very good book if, if you um, have someone who struggles um, with trying to earn their salvation. And so he describes in the first three chapters of Galatians what's the difference between working for your salvation versus faith. So over here, with works, you have obey the law. Everything in it. You can't mess up one time. And then over here, on faith, you have receive God's gift of grace. Over here, you have believe in your own works. And then over here, you believe in the work of Jesus. Over here, you are condemned to death in a real place called hell. And then over here, you have eternal life with Christ. And so he's making a very drastic picture. There's there's no middle ground. Over here, he says, with works, you're a slave to sin. But over here, as a servant of Christ, you have faith, you are a servant of Christ. And then over here, works... You're under the spirit of bondage. Your life is in bondage and cuffs. And over here, you have the spirit of adoption. And that's what brings us to Galatians chapter 4. So I'm going to start off by reading the first three verses. And we're going to look at what does it mean to be adopted. So this first part in Galatians chapter 4, verse 1 through 3, we see our life as a child of the world. So I'm going to read in Galatians 4. I'm going to read the first three verses. It says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. So it starts off by describing, what is this life before you were in the family of God now back in these times in the ancient world the timing from childhood to adulthood was a definitive point there wasn't any blurry ground now in America we we kind of don't have this specific point so maybe it's 18 when you graduate from high school then you be in, become an adult or maybe it's 22 you graduate from college or 28 you move out of the house from your parents house There's not really like a specific time like, okay, you are an adult now. But back then, it was a very serious time. It was a a specific day that you became an adult. Um, In the the Jewish culture, they have a bar mitzvah, if you you may have heard of that. But it's at the point at which a 12-year-old boy would go to the church with his father, and his father would pray and say, God, he's all yours now. He's 12 can you imagine us making twelve-year-olds an official adult and send them out? I don't know. It'd be a a, a scary thing for some parents. Um, but it was it was that day. So on that day, your twelve-year-old was now an adult. For the Roman ceremonies, theirs was a lot more cruel. They the the women or the the girls or the boys would have to bring all of their childhood toys, and they would sacrifice them to their gods to say, hey, I'm putting my childhood behind me and today I'm an adult. That would be probably a very scarring thing for a lot of kids. Um, the Gre- in Greece, they would have, the boys would never cut their hair from the d- time they were born. And so at the time they became an adult, they would cut their hair and they would enter into a, a two-year military service saying that at this day, from now on, I'm no longer a child, I'm an adult. And so here, he, that's the, what he is describing, what he is referring to. So in, in verse 1, when he says, When you were a child before that day happened, you were not equal to your father. He says you were the same as a servant. You, you were no different than a servant. You had servants who were in charge of you. You had tutors who you would learn from. Just as the slave had a master, this child, before you became an adult, was under bondage. This illustrates what what we were before salvation. The Bible says we were in bondage. We were a slave to the legalistic requirements. You had to follow the law. And if you messed up in one point, the Bible says you're guilty of it all. So you were condemned to death. You were a slave to sin. You were under the spirit of bondage. That is your life as a child of the world. Now, look at the end of verse 3. He says, You were in bondage under the elements of the world. You were under the elements of the world. This elements is where we get our term elementary, the basics. You think of elementaries, or you think of the, the periodic table of elements. It's a chart. If you love science, it's the the basic chemicals that make up our entire world. So it's the foundation. You think of elementary school where you learn reading, writing, and arithmetic. Uh, The the basics. So no matter how complicated the the world's religious system was, if you boil it down, the elements, the, the basic foundation was works. You either have faith or you have works. Your only hope under this life of a child under the world was your own self. You were relying 100% on yourself. John Wesley, he was a a famous hymn writer. He was a famous uh, theologian, evangelist. He describes his life before salvation. Before he was saved, he lived a very good life. Listen to what he did. He would go to the prisons. He would distribute food and clothing to the orphans. He attended weekly services. He gave offerings to the church. He prayed. He fasted. He lived a moral life, even going to the mission field to the Indians. But looking back, because this all happened before he was saved, he says, I had the faith of a servant, though not of a son. He says, my faith was in myself, not as a son of God. So I have to ask the question, does this describe your life? Are you trapped in the elemental, the foundational things of the world where you are trying to earn salvation through your own works? The Bible says in Titus 3.5, not by works of righteousness that we have done, but, by, but according to his mercy he saved us. Only faith in Jesus Christ can save you. You say, well, I do a lot of good. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned, which means you are guilty of all. Your good works can never save you. Only your faith in Jesus Christ. It's a pretty miserable life as a child of the world. That is, you are in bondage, you are condemned to death, you are relying on yourself. But in verse 4, we see... The adoption process. So I'm going to read verses 4 and 5. And how does God adopt us into his family? Verse 4 of Galatians chapter 4, it says, But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. The Bible says this adoption process came at the fullness of time. So it was the perfect timing that, that God had set forth. The law, it was given and it served its purpose. The law was given to point out that you can never live up to God's standards. He gave the law to point out that you need God and that you can never earn favor with God. The Bible says God sent forth his son, 100% God, 100% man. And Jesus Christ was born under the same law. He had to follow the law, but Jesus was different. Because Jesus obeyed. Never once did he sin. Never once did he do wrong. Jesus was perfect. And because Jesus was perfect, look at verse 5. The Bible says, he was given the ability to redeem them that were under the law. That was all of us. To redeem. To buy back. It's used for slaves. Viewing a slave, maybe who had run away, maybe a slave that you had lost because you couldn't afford, but you go back to the auction, you purchase that slave back. But here's what makes adoption such a beautiful thing, is that Jesus didn't just redeem us. He didn't just buy us back and say, can't believe you. You ran away, you rebelled, you sinned, I'll buy you back, here's the blood of Jesus, now get out of here. He doesn't do that. Jesus redeems us and then brings us into his family. He could have just said, you know what, here, here's your, here's your redemption, get out of here, go live your life, do what you want. But Jesus didn't just redeem us, he adopts us. And he says at the end that we might receive the adoption of of sons you if you've put your faith in jesus christ are a son or daughter of god now uh, this word adoption was a very it was a very common thing in in, in this time and the word adoption is made of two words it's made of the word a son and then the word to place or to put so the the term adoption means the placing or the putting of a son to to put in the place of of a son, so you have brought them into your family. Now the Roman culture. So he's talking to the Galatians, and uh, they were Romans. They were in the, the the region of Rome, and the other place he mentions adoption is in Romans chapter eight. So he's speaking to a Roman group, and as he's doing that, he uses their illustration. Um, it was a common procedure. Adoption. It was very common. It happened a lot. Because the, Rome was ruled by a bunch of wealthy families. So if you had a lot of money, then most likely you had power. And there was a lot of pressure on you to, to pass this power, pass this, these riches down. But the other thing was that it was very expensive to, to raise kids. So if you wanted to, to have uh, three or four kids, then you had to send them all through school and training. And then if you have daughters... Then you have to pay the huge dowry to get them off married. So you didn't want to uh, have too many kids, but you had to make sure you had a son. And so it was this very tricky balance. Like, do we have one son? But what if he passes away or he dies in battle? Okay, well, let's have two kids, sons. Or you have four daughters. You're like, okay, do we try for a fifth? I don't know. I already got four marriage weddings to plan. Like, it was a huge, it was a, a difficult balance to figure out. It was very expensive. So one way to combat that would be the adoption process. Like, we shall adopt a son to make sure I can pass my family name. And then poor families. So you grew up poor. You didn't have a lot of money. A lot of them would actually give up their own son for adoption so that he could join this wealthy family and receive uh, some type of riches. So it was very common. Now, once the child or the the son or the daughter was brought, they would have the new family name. And it was never a shameful or or a process that you wouldn't tell anybody about. And once you became part of that family, you received all the same things as the biological kids. So the adopted child would be a permanent part of that family. It was very interesting to study because if you became adopted the parents could never legally disown you. You could disown your own children. You could give up your own son or your own daughter. But if you adopted, you could never give them up for adoption or disown them. So when the Bible says that we receive the adoption of sons, God is bringing us into his family and he treats us all equal. Every person in here, if you are a son or daughter of God, Is viewed equally. Not only that, but you're a permanent member of of God's family. He brings you in, and the Bible says he will never disown you. So when God looks at you, he saw that you were a wretched, vile, rebellious sinner, and yet he brought you back, and he wants you in his family. God looks at you and says, I died for you. I love you. I want you to be a part of my family. Now, I, I saw this perfectly illustrated this past summer. I saw this um, illustrated. Uh, many of you know uh, the Nicely family, and I, I spoke with them, and, and they gave me permission to share the story. I don't think they're here today, but they have six children that they have adopted. So the Nicelys have adopted six children, and this past summer, they um, were given the opportunity to adopt a, a seventh, and his name is Billy. And I don't know if you've met Billy, but Billy... Is an awesome kid. You you should definitely get to know him. But when Billy first came this past summer, he had never, it was the first time he'd been to church. He was just getting to know their family. He didn't understand love or what it meant to, to be a part of a family. He had never experienced discipline. He had never experienced anything. He he had been had just a rough situation. And so when Billy first came. They were checking the kids in, so we were having Parkway Kids Camp, and, and he was getting checked in. And he did something wrong, and Mrs. Nicely corrected him. And to the point where I think he got a little embarrassed, but he didn't know how to react. And so his only reaction, his first reaction was just to run. And so he took off running. He, where the building or the gym and the high school, he took off down, and he just started running. Like, that was his reaction. And I still remember seeing Scott, and there were several other guys that, that chased after him. And they were finally able to corral him. And uh, finally Scott gets him, but he doesn't, he doesn't want anything to do with him. He He's still trying to run. And so Scott had to bear hug him, picks him up, and brings him. And I watched this happen as I'm teaching and, and being a part of the kids' camp. They sat for probably 45 minutes right out on the picnic tables. And I still can see it, that Scott, as just holding Billy as tight as he can, Billy trying to run away. And that is the perfect picture of, of God. We just wanted to run. We did run. We rebelled. We sinned. We didn't know or want to be a part of the family of God, but God, with open arms, says, I want you. Now, he didn't force us or, or make us, but God says, I want you. I love you. I want you to be part of my family. It's the perfect illustration of how God brings us into his family. He treats us all equal. So what does this life look like? We saw the adoption process. We saw what it was before. What is the life like as a child of God? Look at verse 6 of Galatians chapter 4. Here it describes the life as a child of God. So if you've put your faith in Jesus, this is what your life is like. He says, And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of his Son into, our heart, into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. We can all read the scriptures, and and we can see what they say, but the Bible says he not only just gives us the ability to read scripture, he gives us the Holy Spirit in our hearts. If you've been saved, the number one thing that you receive as an adopted child of God is the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit serves um, several purposes. First of all, he gives us assurance of our salvation. Look what he says in verse 6. He says, "The Spirit." Cries into our hearts. Now, the, in Romans 8.16, another verse, he says the Holy Spirit bears witness. It testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. You can have 100% confidence that you are a child of God if you have the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that comforts you and that, that tells you that you can never lose your salvation. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit that we've been given as a child of God gives us assurance of salvation. And then secondly, he helps us to understand scripture. It's the Holy Spirit that as we read, he brings that interpretation to us. And then finally, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. When we start to stray, he reminds us, hey, you belong to the family of God. My last name is Battle, and all growing up, I don't know if your parents did this, but you do something wrong, you do something bad, and your, your parents say, hey, battles don't say that. Any parents ever said that? Hey, battles don't complain. Hey, battles don't talk like that. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit says, hey, children of God don't act like that. Hey, children of God don't do that. And what does he bring to mind? The Bible says he brings to mind Scripture. So if you're not reading Scripture, then it's going to be hard for him to bring that back. So the Holy Spirit that we've been given, he gives us assurance of salvation. He helps interpret the Scriptures, and then he convicts us of sin. But the Bible says in verse 6, or in verse 7, he says not only do we have the Holy Spirit, but he says that thou art no more a servant, but a son. Now this word son is the generic term. So it's both sons and daughters. And it says it leads us to cry, Abba, Father. This Abba was the in term of endearment. It was the, the significant term that you would use a child saying, Daddy or Papa. It was that loving, endearing term. That is what you have with God. You're... Earthly Father may no longer be here. Your earthly Father, you may not have any contact with Him or you may not know Him, but the Bible says your heavenly Father loves you and wants to have that personal relationship with you. It's that personal, intimate relationship where the Bible says that you can enter His throne room boldly to find mercy and grace when you need it. That is the relationship we have. With God. So that means that if you are a Christian, then you are a son or daughter of God. Which means that everyone who is in here who is a Christian is brothers and sisters in the family of God. It speaks to the unity. Now, everyone look around, look to your left, everyone look to your right. Okay, turn around, awkwardly look at the person behind you. Okay. So, If that person has put their faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says they're your brother and sister. How do you treat your brothers and sisters in Christ? Are we unified at Parkway Baptist Church? As a body of believers, are we unified Christians? Do you gossip about your brothers and sisters? Or maybe positively, do you, do you actually reach out? Do you help your brothers and sisters? Do you contact them? Do you call them? Do you visit? Do you hang out? Do you fellowship? How is your relationship with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Have you put labels on them? Do you say, oh, this is my annoying brother in Christ? <laughs> or this is my sister who talks a lot. We got to go out this door instead of that door because I do not want to talk today. Or do you say, this is my ugly brother in Christ? Do we have labels for for those of us who are in the family of God? The Bible wants us to be unified. We are all brothers. We are all part of the same family. We're not wrestling against our brothers and sisters in Christ. We have a much bigger battle to fight than those of us who are in this church. Now, the last part of this, it says, not only do you have the Spirit of God, as a child of God. Not only are you a son, but finally, at the end of verse 7, he says, and if a son, then an heir of God through the through Christ. When you were adopted into a Roman family, the inheritance was not a just a lifestyle, or it, it became your lifestyle. It wasn't just a death style. I don't know if that's a word, but it fits. So, it, w- it wasn't just that when you died, now you receive the inheritance. Once you were adopted immediately, you experience the inheritance. You didn't have to wait until the father died before you got to enjoy the riches and the land and the, the wealth that came with it. You got to take part in it. Now, spiritually speaking, when you become part of the family of God, you have the Spirit of God. You are a son of God. And you are an heir of God. Meaning that, yes, you have parts that you experience now. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the Word of God. But our full inheritance will occur when we die. That is our hope today. That is our confidence that this isn't it. This world, once you get saved, is not it. Once you die, you receive your full inheritance of a new glorified body in a sin-free heaven, spending eternity with God. That will be the full inheritance. Just as if when the father died, he received his full inheritance. He still got to experience it now, but the hope was one day that we as Christians will receive our full inheritance. Life as a child of God is way better than life as a child of the world. So I have to ask at the end, Are you part of the family of God? Or, like Paul says, are you trusting in your works to earn merit or favor with God? Or have you put your faith alone in Jesus Christ? Only faith in Jesus Christ will save you. For those of us who are adopted, for those of us who would say, yes, I am a part of the family of God. First of all, be thankful, because it means that God loves you. You are loved by God. You are part of his family. And you will never lose your salvation. And God will never disown you. But then secondly, you're not a slave to sin. The Bible says if you trust in works, you are a servant and a slave to sin. But now you are a servant of Christ. Is there sin in your life that you're involved in that says that you've gone back to these old ways? And then finally, how how do you treat others who are your brothers and sisters in Christ? Is there unity here at Parkway Baptist Church? Is there unity amongst believers that you know? Or do you have some things that you need to get right with a brother or sister? God wants us to be unified. I'd like for everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes. and I'm going to pray and and ask God... for us to, for to, to work in our hearts. And if you want to do business there at your seat with God or you want to come forward, um, both are, are available. But let's pray and, and spend some time with God and, and ask him to, to work in our hearts.